When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome to the podcast. What's We're up, here. bro? I have so much to tell you. Oh, good. This is going to be the least natural conversation. I'm just going to refer to my phone the yeah, whole time. Yeah, right. this is what happens when we <laughs> hang out. So we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the whole Equinox scandal, yes. where the investor had some sort of Trump meeting rally where you mm-hmm. could pay a hundred thousand dollars for a photo with the president. Everybody got upset. People started canceling their Equinoxes. I have the stats. Okay nationwide and at our santa monica location so i'm curious what you think percentage of people left in both scenarios and you can play at home as well <laughs> new york times wrote a one article you nailed it did i it was one percent nationwide nice. yeah it's one percent nationwide and we had the second most cancels in our santa monica location Ooh. which is i don't know how many but it was they said 250 people at our location left and it's got roughly three to four thousand total in the gym so then eight percent ish you know what i mean yeah. so we we were one of the big ones nice. <laughs> one of the most active and it was this, how big of a scandal was this for equinox was one, it one percent of the scandal but i'm saying how big did it look from the outside where people were like oh this is a national I think scandal if, well this is this is a lesson generally with the news and with life is you, if you're answering the phones on that day the sky is falling yeah because 25 people canceled in my shift and yeah, like yeah. i've never had a day like this and for you know people we're talking about it for a day and if you're a corporate you're just like all right if but only but not here's the thing if you're reading the papers if you're looking at the news if you're doing all this it sounds like the end times yeah get a new job but we've talked about this it's it's tough to just like slow down leave the office take a vacation maybe come back in five days clear your head and then address what's happened as it is and of course one percent of people leaving even if it's above and beyond what normally happens because there's a normal yeah it's not going to kill the business no it's not going to notice it's not going to be noticed by the business at all which is it's just interesting it's i don't i don't know what to make of it i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that people seem to be upset and then don't well the action no like the the amount of effort it takes to make a tweet versus to sure. call up the gym and cancel and yeah. then well, i'm sure when you they make find it hard to cancel gym. they have to like go in assume they don't assume that you have to yeah, just now you gotta find, find a, new a new gym to work out at yeah <laughs> Get so no, it's, it's much easier to just be like this is ridiculous uh, well then, then here's the other anything. here's the other possibility is that nobody was actually that upset that it was a small echo chamber of the one percent of people who did actually wind up canceling and say they went on a one-to-one complain to cancel ratio You'd have a thousand people You'd have, on the internet. But it was just an, exactly. Yeah. So this is the weird thing where the news is now reporting what people are tweeting as if it's a phenomenon. Yeah. And it's... Have you noticed that news has started to cite... Cite tweets, tweets from nobody? Yeah. 
people are saying, and then they just have two tweets. Two like, and like, that's a There's... person, that's a people. There's <laughs> 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah, I know. We just get to find three what, tweets and that go, are, people are, are saying. saying. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. It's crazy how, how weird that stuff's gotten. So you that was to be a journalist. Yeah. Um, there was a whole, gosh, there was a whole bag of weeds with that but i got too much man we can't even slow down all right next <laughs> f transitions all around so this you know steam you might not know steam yeah. steam is the video game that you can play on your computer it's a platform to buy video games from developers some of whom are indie developers uh there was a european agreement that they have to allow the resale of digital games meaning that what you used to do and if you might have remembered you had a video game you go to GameStop you bought your game for 60 bucks you go back a week later you sell it for 8 if you're lucky yeah, yeah. you know and and then nobody wanted to really buy resold games sure. because who knows if the cartridge would work and you have to blow on it it's completely different with digital because a digital copy is, is identical perfect yeah you can't scratch it and so i don't know how this is going to happen but why would anyone ever Unless you're getting on the first day where there's only, like, there's going to be so such. So question, how do they make sure I delete it if I sell it to you? Uh, I think they will have license keys, which, which you will. So it's not like up. I can buy it, sell it to you, you sell it to Angel. So take Microsoft Word, for, for example. Got it. Okay. Uh, that you could, and maybe they'll It's got be, a serial number. Yes. That one can only be played on one console. Yes. Got and it. the thing, unlike Word or Excel, is that you play it. The, the value of a video game is you might spend 60 bucks and play it for 100 hours in a month and then never touch it again. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I actually read that, and I'm generally like super internet, yeah, freedom. But I, I read that and was like, man, that's not, that's not good for these indie developers. Oh, you think it's going to kill them? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, so why, I guess here's the issue. If you, if you are capable of huge launches, which is when there's a demand and everybody has to get theirs on the first day, mm. great. But let's say that you have a slow burn game. That is, it's an up and coming cult hit. doesn't get a ton of sales on the first day, but people positively review it after they've beat it. <laughs> right. Now, every sale that you make, you don't get a cut of. Yeah. And it seems to, it's going to incentivize. And what people are saying is this games as a subscription mm. which why would you put effort into making an amazing 60 dollars one-time game that is going to get played by 10 different people when instead you can do a Fortnite free to download two dollars for this skin four dollars for this skin, yeah, yeah. eight dollars to open this loot and this box. law already passed or they're talking about passing? i think it passed in europe why'd they do it well my what people are saying tweets there was two of them yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know any of this but it seems that they uh, w there's always these things that are nonsensical to me when lawmakers write about the internet. <laughs> uh -huh. It seems, uh, I guess, because they're going, there's a physical copy, you can do this, you, you're technically buying a purchase of this. If you own it, why can't you resell something that you own? Yeah. Uh, and I guess the reason for me, if I was completely uneducated saying this, is because we want to protect a bit of, of the innovation that's occurring in this industry and allowing the resale of a digital product like that doesn't or it's just and we'll see what the capitalism does with this i think it's going to incentivize free games yep. that you pay two four six dollars to open up later levels in yeah uh, and so you resell that game to your friend guess what it's free to resell to your friend no problem except if he wants to play level two that'll be 10 bucks yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so i think you're gonna if that spreads and proliferates you're gonna see a different type of video well, game. why video games and not music and everything else yeah right why not movies <clears throat> i don't know because if they do this, if they do this to everyone, 
there's going to be a absolute uprising. Well, because think about that. That's a great question. Because I go, I've, I buy a movie on iTunes, right? I watch it once. I watch it once. <laughs> I'm done, dude. I'm done within a day. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm going to sell it for ninety percent of what and I bought. Some it for. of them, like Avengers, when that came out, they did not have a rent option. So normally you get the forty-eight hour rent option on YouTube. Yeah, or they Amazon. wanted to get that money. They had a twenty-dollar sale, and it was Endgame. Yeah. And I wanted to see it again, dude. And I spent twenty bucks. I'll sell it four hours later. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to buy it, and then ninety percent of the money it to back you for in four eighteen. Hours. Yeah. Or I give it to. I mean, here's the thing: immediately the value of it would drop to one or two bucks. But what the heck? If it's easy, and I and some service is going to step in to make that transaction easy. But here's the thing. <clears throat> the amount of money lost by the movie producing studio is massive because you buy it for 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like i'll sell it for 18 the guy goes yeah. no this guy's selling it for, five, three. for three you'll fine i'll sell it for two bucks yeah. but the movie studio lost out on 20 bucks all of that yeah, yeah. so so i don't know why, I, yeah why well, I, I think you, you can almost pick on video games because they're smaller i think you couldn't do this to uh you know what's crazy is they're not smaller video games are a way larger industry than hollywood what they might not have is the same governmental sure, influence. they don't have the same yet. big studios yes or who knows well, and the big one also the big ones aren't hurt by this the fortnites of the world probably, are already making exactly money this way. The, the biggest video game in the world doesn't care yeah. if you can resell Fortnite no yeah who you hurt free. is the person who who, who put their heart, heart and soul, and soul into, into this. making this you know the 50 hour journey with yeah. a beautiful story and you finish it and you don't need to play it again because there was a big reveal at Actually, the end. Actually, what's funny is if this legislation <laughs> had hurt mobile games, yeah. it wouldn't have passed. Yeah, Because mobile gaming is where all the money is, They right? tried to ban loot boxes. You yeah. could imagine that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it would be squashing a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, or this you can't hurts, resell skins to hurt, kids. This doesn't hurt mobile and this doesn't hurt Fortnite. Mm -hmm. It hurts the RPGs and, the, and they're smaller. Yeah. No, if they tried to do this in some way that would rip out 80% of the revenue from the mobile games be over in a heartbeat i think you're right i think you're right um so okay f transition so i was reading uh, another dan ariely book i kind of told you a little bit about it yeah. so dan ariely wrote predictably irrational he is a what is it a behavioral economist mm -hmm. so he looks at he breaks the idea the i guess adam smith that people are perfectly rational actors in an economy who are just trying to maximize their return on investment and he mm -hmm. looks at the irrational things that people do and it's an interesting book I was reading. It's called Payoff. It's one of his shorter ones. It's kind of a repeat. And I'm looking at it, and it talks about the value of praise, which I believe in, and the value mm -hmm. of this. But there's a huge leap that I think is occurring in all of this, and every stat ever, and it's the reason in many cases that I don't cite anything on Charisma on Command. I just yeah. go off my own anecdotal experience, which I think is just as strong as these studies in many cases. And it's because he'll do a study of 300 Duke students, which is where he's a guy, which is where he's a professor, uh, building bionicles, and he'll pay them $4 per bionicle that they build. And then mm -hmm. he decreases the amount and then measures how many Lego bionicles they build in different circumstances, when they're praised, when they're not praised, when they're this. When they're paid $4 when versus paid $2. $2. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes, you know, they'll, they will make 45% more bionicles if they're praised. And yeah. so just imagine that in the workplace. And it's like, why would we ever, ever take a sample of Duke students and apply that to the world at large and say that we understand something about human nature at this yeah, point. Yeah. It seems so red herring, ludicrous, like d don't even fall for it for a second 
Because if you try to study the demographics, meaning if you took a sample of Duke students' age or Duke students' yeah, gender, the whole world is <laughs> is from eighteen to twenty-two. What yeah. do you know? Ninety-eight percent of people that and they're we all study, alcoholics. <laughs> and they're all, the whole world is drink, alcoholics. Yeah, and they drink this much, and this is how they respond when they get an F on a t- like. Yeah. And we should stop selling high-level alcohol and just go straight for Coors Light, guys. Yeah, and 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 then saying this is this. Yeah, what you're saying is any you, insight into human nature. Yeah, when you have a. A world where people make between forty grand, and I like Dan Ariely. I actually really like the guy. I think he's got fascinating studies. Yeah, but what but... you're saying is, when you have a world where people make from forty grand to a million dollars, and they're working and they're thirty-five, and you try to go, <laughs> well, we were able to pay eighteen-year-olds yeah. half as much, yeah. which by the way means two dollars versus four dollars, yeah. aka no one cares about that much money. If we praise them. So let's take all the lawyers we have. Yeah. And instead of paying them four hundred grand a year, we'll pay them two hundred grand. And they'll a year, be happier, and we'll praise them and every appreciate week. It more. It's like, yeah. this might not work with the mortgage and the kids <laughs> and the fact that instead of two bucks, we're talking about two hundred thousand. It's yeah. like, yeah, why would this port directly to anything? And there's a lot of unless you want to motivate college kids to build bionics. Well, they talk about, and some of these break completely. There's this isn't a Dan Ariely, but there was a study done on how people handle fairness in terms of bargaining and negotiating. And you do it in America amongst – assume it, you know you could do it against older, younger. You get one response. Mm. When you do it in Asian cultures where saving face becomes important, all of a sudden you have people racing to sort of pick up the check, to not let mm. someone – like where we're going to be more capitalist and like quid pro quo, they're trying to, to appear – uh, in some of these these studies as if they need you less or like richer. They're yeah, not yeah. going to let you give them too much because that would be – that would, would smirch their honor or something. Yeah. And again, to say that we have any insight into human nature based on some of these studies is is such an overreach. Yeah, what you have is maybe some insight into, into the culture that you're studying. Exactly. So I think that a massive – and one of the reasons that I don't use these studies, and there's, well, I could probably rattle off five reasons. One is that the headline then jumps so far. Like yeah, the, the study – Yeah, talk about the photo one. <laughs> yeah. I think we've already talked about it. We don't it. need, to, we don't need to, that to drain on it. When a woman looks at a photo of a man and he's yeah. not smiling – Sometimes it's ranked more attractive. It is, so and then, pretend every time. And then the headline runs: "Men more attractive when they don't smile." Yeah, like, this is insanity. Yeah, we don't. Is, we're not photos. Isn't what happened? <laughs> a couple of twenty-two-year-old women at some university somewhere said that they liked photos of guys that in white smiling. t-shirts where they weren't yeah, smiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's ridiculous. So uh, yeah, they're I'm, unreplicatable. They don't apply to the real world. Yeah. Anyway, I'm reading the book, and I think directionally it matches my experience, which it says that— Well, it sounds good. That's its greatest strength. I like predictably rational for the record, but it sounds so interesting when you're reading it. It Mm -hmm. gives you a lot of, ah, and it feels good because you're like, I've learned about myself and about humans. Yeah. That's why it's so popular. He did did run a study at a company where they let him set up the incentive structure, and my ears, eyes perked up for that. And I was like, okay, this this at least is— What did it say? So it was about uh, – it was interesting. It was about monetary bonuses. I'll give you the, the, the brief overview. It was a company that made stuff, and they made stuff on an eight-day cycle. And they, they had, I believe, eight days on, four days off. So the first day back, they believed that people would be low motivated. So just for that first day, there was a bonus based on how much you produced. Mm. And they were offering monetary bonuses. So what he said is they let him in, and he's like, I, can I set up different – things and who knows how these interacted with each other and affected but he set up okay we're going to keep your monetary bonus i'm going to offer people a pizza voucher and i'm going to have their manager like text them and say like really good job Mm -hmm. if they do well what happens and what he found which to me this is interesting because at least we're in a workplace at this point sure is that people 
did i think the, the improvements on the first day were relatively similar close-ish enough but what happened is on day two people who were paid did less sure. than in the other scenarios because it's the like, money's not there anymore well i'm doing this for the money yep is a is a one for one trade sure versus i made my boss happy that's like it, uh, that's a it's well, got a higher is, time horizon finance is smart about this because you don't get a daily bonus yeah. you get one bonus a year mm-hmm. and it's gonna be three times your salary mm-hmm. or twice your salary or the same as your salary yeah so the amount of money at stake is huge mm-hmm. and they don't decide till 12 months later so every day is basically like that day where you're like if i screw up today i could cost myself a lot of money yeah, yeah. and so it's very high stakes and very stressful and Got it. And, and who good knows? for motivating. <laughs> it's not so good for... You get people in the office The late. old psyche. Yeah. And that's the other thing is is they he tried to measure how does this affect performance, which is tough in some industries sure. that are more creative versus some where this is just a production industry. But yeah, found that found that praise was the best. And he, he said, I think, because the thing is we couldn't give them pizzas. Like I wanted to deliver pizzas to their house, but it was unfeasible. So the pizza, pizza voucher was like not as good. But I think if we could have given in these pizzas to their family yeah. and had them been like, oh, it's dad brought pizza home. Like that sure. would have been yeah. uh, a powerful motivator as For well. For sure. Again, though, I have to assume that the bonus, if you're comparing it to pizza, I have to assume the bonus is like a $10 bonus. It was a, I, I don't know what, the, it was like 30 bucks or something. Sure. And yeah. I don't know what their salary is, but I, it, it, how much praise how much money? Yeah. How much pizza? These things matter. Of course. The, of course. And it, you can't say that praise is more valuable than money. He goes, well, how much? Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Certainly the people that I know that pull the most 80 to 120 hour weeks do it because they're literally saving lives. Mm-hmm. I.e. I, like, e, what is it called? EMT? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like EMT doctors, and ER doctors. Yeah. Or it's people making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like the most money. And those are the people who will literally work themselves to death yeah. with 120 hour weeks. Yeah. So money's a pretty good motivator if you have it in a high enough number. Sure. sure. Yeah. And I was reading this. I was, you know, I, and then I go back to my like Eastern book that I'm reading and go, who cares about motivation? Dude, can I tell you? Here's an A A-tran- transition for you. So I was talking to a friend of ours who's very successful. He's already sold a business to a big corporation. He's got millions of dollars. He's working on his second business. Mm-hmm. And... I was texting him about coming to this uh, psilocybin retreat that we're going to in Europe. And he said, oh, I, I don't want to go to that because it's too far, but I'll go to something in L.A. And we're going back and forth. I go, why don't you go do Vipassana? You've done a 10-day silent retreat. And you said it was life-changing. Why don't you just go do that if you're looking? Because he said, I'm looking for something. Yeah. I need something. I, I'm not in a good place. And he said, I want to do that. But the problem is that when I go to Vipassana, it makes me want to just give up all my self-inflicted misery <laughs> in the pursuit of peace and happiness did he recognize the... and i no, and then i wrote him i want to make sure i got this right i wrote him and said why why don't you and I, that was the only time he didn't respond we were going back and forth back and forth every minute with texts yeah. literally and then i said that sounds amazing why wouldn't you leave all self-inflicted misery behind to find peace and happiness no response. That's incredible. Still hasn't responded. And yeah, I and think it, it's because it created a big. No, it created a moment. It created a. It created a, a high resistance moment. Man, we. Uh, Isn't that fascinating? We're gonna beat this dead horse. People do not want to feel good. They yeah. don't want to be happy. They want they, what they imagine is the intermediate step to it. Because yeah, oftentimes in order, and this is the crazy thing, in order to be happy, you have to oftentimes give up the thing that you thought for many years was going to do it for you. Sure. That's so true <laughs> it's, Isn't that so, fascinating? it's so relatable Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. It's, and it's just 
yeah, I don't want to go to this thing because I'm afraid it'll make me want to give up on my self-inflicted misery. Uh, yeah, I might actually have to be happy. That sounds great. Why don't you do that? Yeah. Ghosted. Terror. Never responded. Man, doing anything different is, is so scary yeah. to people. I'm guilty of it. Of for course, sure. of course. I don't I don't exempt myself from the category of people. No. <laughs> you know. I just run towards the psychedelic experiences hoping that it'll eventually That's shift. That's kind of what I do is is, <laughs> is I've gotten yeah, I'll fly to Amsterdam to yeah, do it in the hope of exactly it, rewriting my it's, brain. It's a weird and this is this is my strategy with motivation is I actually don't believe in my own consistent willpower or discipline at all. And it's it's deteriorated in recent years. I used to have more. But what I can do is sign myself up for these shackled experiences well i can bank on my subconscious dude mm -hmm. i never miss the gym yeah and it's it's because my subconscious really wants me to go and maybe that was influenced by some books i read or some this or some that oh but i'm but, saying that the gym might be getting in the way of your happiness sure sure sure. but what i'm saying is that it's when you when you are forcing yourself and pushing yourself to do something every day mm -hmm. you will burn out when your unconscious mind thinks that that's what will make you happy you will do it forever. Well, this is so exactly all, the problem. So all I can do is fly to Amsterdam to go to a psilocybin retreat to hopefully uncover some things that I'm doing wrong and then rewrite my unconscious mind. I think this is. That's what I I'm think saying. we're saying the same thing, which is, yeah, I recognize that my daily struggle against my subconscious is going to be one that I lose. Mm -hmm. And so rather than try to win on every day-to-day -day front, I just sign up for these things that I go, okay, this is going to be a subconscious kick in the rear. And yeah. maybe it'll just it'll like i have autopilot and maybe it'll just change the autopilot destination and then sure. after that i go god thank you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and it doesn't have to be to be clear it doesn't have to be psychedelics i think yeah, you yeah, would yeah. have said choice center was one of those yeah. oh, well, yeah, i think tony robbins for some people those events can be very sure. powerful it's some, these these massive kick in the butts and then i think what is important that a lot of these don't have which is what i want to make when when we do this is yeah you want to follow up it's the kick in the butt but um it's like Pavlovian conditioning. Yeah, you don't want to send you know? someone to a retreat, whether it's psychedelic or mm -hmm. high-intensity NLP or whatever, and then they come out, they're motivated, they're ready to change this and that, and you go, awesome. Go back to your same environment yeah, yeah, yeah. that had all the same people and the same setup that was leading to the bad results, and good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, like, you're, you're different now. <laughs> Wait, but but all the people are the same, yeah. and they all want me to be the same, and this is really hard. So that's what I want is, is something that, because I think what it is, you get that catalyst of an experience— but then you need to come back into a supportive environment. Yeah. And if you don't have the supportive with environment, new, I mean, I say the this catalyst with new people, fizzles. with new people. Yeah. You cannot, or with the same people who are going to treat you differently because they've agreed to for some reason. You yeah. can't. Yeah. If you, I actually talked to, I said this, I talked to a guy that runs an Ibogaine clinic, incredibly useful for drug addicts. Mm -hmm. You can go to an Ibogaine clinic and kick all the physical because symptoms. Because you, you can come back to your family. Yeah. All the physical symptoms of your drug addiction are gone. But if you go back to the same group of friends mm. and the same family that led you to doing heroin, what you haven't fixed is their abusiveness yep. or your lack of connection or it's your feeling of loneliness. And then with no physical addiction, you will turn back to the substance because you didn't try it the first time because you were addicted to it. Mm -hmm. It was healing or, or filling some hole. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, if you, do, if you give people Ibogaine and then just send them right back, it's a crapshoot because they won't be addicted. But mm -hmm. if you give them Ibogaine and give them a support network, then they won't be drug addicts. Interesting. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. Got to keep that in mind when we do this uh, for our stuff. Because mm -hmm. I think that's... I think I've done it. I've gone to the weekend seminar, thought my whole life was changed. And yeah. Then nothing changed. That's just a habit that I have now is to bite my tongue. Whenever somebody asks me, you have a powerful experience, they go, how was it? And I will not say... I tr like really will not say life-changing until at least, and this is still early, 
two three months after yeah. you know what i mean like I've 90 days have to pass yeah until you can use the you can utter the words life-changing oh my god oh my god i learned so my brain is so different i learned yeah. so much yeah and then two weeks later you're like that felt really powerful what did i learn yeah it doesn't seem to make sense yeah yeah, yeah i don't like that i forget yeah um so let's i have a couple of other things on here let's see we talked about the red herring one this kind of this is semi-related to dan Ariely. so i've, I've been reading a book on I, I always have like a business book an eastern book and then a science book or something like that and this you read them you you just bounce between them i don't really understand this i i buy one book at a time and i read just no that i book. bounce between so how does that work matches depending my on mood, the day matches my mood and what's interesting is it's do you read before bed do you read when you wake up when do you read often all day all the time yeah so it'll be 4 p.m you finish writing a script you go okay cool i'm gonna take a break i'm gonna read yeah and then there's no system you just go do i want to read about eastern do i want to read about no business? system no system uh but what I, there is a subconscious system and it's when i want to not do the heavy lifting of presence you know which is taking a deep breath mm. and this is where i am I love this, and I and I have to. I love problems. I, mm. I love them. They distract me from the present moment. <laughs> Got it. And I so love... weirdly enough, the business books are what call to you. Yes, they call to me because I can focus on a discrete problem and yeah, pretend yeah. that solving it will do something. <laughs> I love it. As your, as your business partner, I love it. As your best friend, I have no comment. Go ahead. Uh, and that's that's what. Yeah, you 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 get that that breakthrough. And of course, it doesn't matter at all to anything in in the larger schema sense of yeah. of being reality all that stuff but it's really fun to pretend that some board game is important for a minute sure. and that's why i like these business books but this one was on uh, it mentioned it and i was happy to find that it wasn't praising the gods of productivity and it just made me want to get on here because people ask questions about being more productive i think that's one of the worst questions well define productive uh how do we get more stuff done yeah so i think productive should be defined as how do i produce more why produce more what well if you're trying to Pounds work on poop? business no if you're trying to work <laughs> like, on business the question would be like how do i be more productive in business is how do i make myself i would think more money in less time well it could be but what if it made you miserable i mean you, you could be an assassin well, I'm saying you have to be you have to be focusing on the business for that question to make sense what if your business is being an assassin i guess this is my point is the question isn't how do i get more with less it's what do i want more of and what do i want less yeah, yeah, of. yeah. i agree and i think well Unfortunately, people don't ask themselves that question. And so what they'll get is more time to study, more time to, you know, write that paper that they have. And instead, it's like, how could I have uh, worked on a business? Well, I'll defend, I'll defend productivity a little bit. Some people feel like they have to have a job or go to school, right? And it's not their passion. And mm -hmm. so productivity is I have to get a certain amount of homework done or I have to produce a certain amount of work that i don't like so i don't get fired because i need a salary how do i do this work in as little time as possible to free up more of my time to spend on my passions my side business things like that mm -hmm. you know what i mean let's say you you want to start a business but you have a family or you want to start a business but you have student loans so you have to work your job so productivity can get you that salary in three hours let's say because you work remote and you outsource then you 80 20 mm -hmm. and now you have five hours a day to work on your side project sure so if you're not productive and it takes you eight hours now you have to work an eight-hour job and then start a side business when you go home. Yeah. So I think that's the virtue of productivity is if you have something that you feel like you cannot escape needing to do. Sure. I think the bigger thing is 
the fundamental question is, do you have to do that thing? And sure. what you would find with many of our friends is they'll tell you that they have to, have to, have to do well, this X, is why Y, and I like Z. To, this is why I like to cat. Not everyone's like our friends. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Some people are older and have families. Some people just have harder situations. Mm -hmm. And some people are still in high school. So I think depending on who you are, there's mm -hmm. real value in productivity if you have to do this amount of crap and it lets you do it in this much time. It should now be, you've freed up guitar time. It should be a second order question is what I'm saying though. The first order question I think comes back to essentialism is where, what are the important things? Sure. Right, like that's, that's the number one question. And then within that, if you wanna be productive, go for it. For sure. Absolutely go for it. I'm not anti. Well, I think essentialism is a productivity book. Okay, then I guess we can we we're arguing over semantics. If you if you think that I what essentialism is to me is uh, when I think of productivity, I think of people with to do lists and organizers oh, and, essentialism, and systems. Essentialism and, says you have these five things to do, mm -hmm. and they each produce a certain result, mm -hmm. right? If this is going to make you ten times all of these, don't do any of these. Just do the one that creates ten times the result. Yeah, and then that even, is productivity. Yes. That is creating the most with the least effort. Sure. Sure, uh, presuming that we we like whatever this produces. Yes, uh, fine. And if that's if that's how people read productivity, that's not what I see sometimes in how to be more productive. Things it's it's assuming yeah, productivity can be bastardized into meaning how can I get more of any like doesn't matter it, what I'm getting it, done whatever it doesn't matter is, what I'm getting yeah. done as long as I'm getting more of it done I'm being productive. Sure, I would actually argue if your goal is to build a wall and you're over here picking your nose really really well for ten hours, that's not productive just because you got the most nose picking done mm -hmm. you know it has to be towards your goal to be productive and so what i would actually and i don't know if you're gonna like this in our business i i think that what we should do is i think we spend too much time working i think i'm on board so far i think we need to collapse it i i you know parkinson's law whatever you have to do will expand the amount of time you have to do it that's a productivity thing but also i think it's going to force us to be more ruthless in our decision making mm -hmm. and i think you're saying be like you are only allowed to work four hours a day stop yeah, you have to stop. Like you get, to, you have to time it. You don't have to do it all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have a stopwatch, and when you're working, it's like, okay, here's my work. Bop. Yep. And then I'm gonna stop to eat lunch. Stop. And and, and it's four hour cap. Then even, you have to stop. Even as just an experiment for a week, and to let things go wrong. I'm game. Do you know what's accidentally created that? My incredible Borderlands Three addiction. <laughs> I've never been more productive. I told you this. I've never been more productive. Normally, I'm the. I will just work for ten hours lazily. You know, like yeah. I don't care if I'm working at 10 p.m. Now. I'm trying to finish everything as soon as possible. Well, that's the thing. I don't want you to finish everything. I want you to. No, I get it. I want you, you to work on your cuts. prioritization, yeah. and I want you to cut. And I want to help our team do that as well. Honestly, uh, I think that as business owners, it can be easy to be like, okay, I'm going to work on my essentialism, and then you know, let let other people do things at their own rate and however they want to. Sure. But I think, I think we would be better served. I think they would be better served, and I think they'll they'll hate it and they'll fight us tooth and nail. Because essentialism isn't fun when you feel like, gosh, gosh, it feels so good to get the stuff done. It yeah. feels so good. There's a brief moment of like, you check the box. I did it. And you get to pat yourself on the back. The hardest go, thing, oh, the hardest thing success. about, yeah, about when we got to Brazil the first time oh, yeah, and I had nothing out. to do was like, how do I feel good about myself in my day? Have we told this story? I'll make it brief. But yeah. I had a panic basically when we yeah. moved to Brazil because I had been an employee for four years. Yeah. So I was always used to being told what to do, doing it, then being told I'd done a good job. Do this, do it, good job. We got to Brazil. Here's what you have to do to grow a business, Ben. Here's a list of a thousand things. You could do them all. You have no idea what's going to work. And once you finish it, you just move on to the next one and no one tells you you've done a good job. And I had a meltdown. Mm -hmm. I felt so overwhelmed. I forget yeah. what you said to bring me out of it, but I remember just being like, my life is so much more stressful as an entrepreneur <laughs> than it was in private equity. Yeah. 
And I think you just pulled me aside and we're like, bro, just just Well, the chill. weird thing is private equity had a ton to do, but there was an amount that you could go that was enough, sort of. And now granted, that might be on any given week getting four hours of sleep. Yeah. But with entrepreneurship, it's like- And the, someone still told you what to do. Yes. Someone still said, you have to do these 19 things mm -hmm. today. You went, well, that's going to take 19 hours. I don't give a Okay. Okay. But at least when I you know get to my, 19, dude, you're like, and you I can, can rest. You can be a little bit of a machine. You yeah. can go full like, okay, one, two, three, 18, 19. Yeah. And you get to be like, okay, I'm done. And I did what I was told. And I know today was a good day. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, I'd write a blog post that no one would read. Or I'd start <laughs> half of a sales page. And I go, was today a good day? Am, am I, I a good person? Did I waste today? <laughs> yeah. Did I move us forward, backwards? Like it was very confusing. Yeah. And I found it very stressful. I, I think that's that's one of the hardest things about this stuff. And I suspect why our employees might fight us if we try to take away their habitual ways of feeling like they did a good job. Yeah. Like they feel but yeah. I think it'll be good for them and I think it'll be good for us. So I'm game. What do we want to do? Two hours a day? I don't know. But I, I think I want to choke it back in a heavy, heavy way that I don't think I can do. Let some things go wrong. But Well two that... two hours would actually definitely freak me out. I actually that's a joke. I think I could do <laughs> freak yourself out. Or I want you to I want you to have a nerve wracking experience. I don't want you to think you can do it. All I right. want you to have to do something that you can't and just for one week. And then we go, listen, that was a horrible experience. You're like, Ben, what did you do this week? I'm like, I didn't do <laughs> Work eight hours a day the next week. This whatever. went terribly. Yeah, it was terrible. That's okay. I'm, I'm game to experiment. Yeah, let it, let let little things go wrong in order for big wins, You want to pick it now or you want to talk about it later? We'll talk about it later. We don't have to do all the business stuff. But uh, so I got a couple of fun ones. So this is a charisma thing. Okay. Edward Snowden. Have you seen him? He's back. He's back. No. He is coming. He released his book. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Who published his book? It's a bestseller. Ballsy. So so I don't even know that it is, man, at least within the YouTube comments and everyone that I've spoken to. Granted, I don't live in an area that is uh, rural or like really. No, no, humans government. like him. People like him. But I just assume the government's now like, screw those guys. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, but don't you just put a target on your back with the government if you publish the Edward Snowden book? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Uh, in any event, someone published it because I think there's money to be made and somebody will take that. Yeah, yeah. They'll take the risk. <laughs> yeah. These are just words. And he was going on a press tour. He was on Trevor Noah. And I'm struck by two things when I Wait, listen. Wait, how's he going on a press tour? Through Skype? Yeah, he's, he's okay. in Russia, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, what do you mean he's, <laughs> yeah, he's on, on Trevor Noah? Yeah, he's on the morning and this and that. He's on Trevor Noah. And every time I listen to him speak, I don't know all the details of his thing, whether yeah. it was good or bad. And I, will try, I always try to avoid weighing in on those things. Yeah. But what I can say with certainty is he appears very intelligent. Sure. He comes across as a sharp guy. And he's a solid communicator if you're willing to give him 15 minutes. Uh, but I was like, Edward, I want to talk to you because yeah. you're you're burying the lead here. Yeah. So he's telling this story and they're asking him questions and he gives the really fair, nuanced, not like the government is evil, I'm a good guy answers. Like, listen, these are competing interests, yada, yada, yada. But at one point, he's, he tells the brief story and I'm going, this is the story, man. Yeah. He's at the NSA and he's, there, he's asking, why did you do this? And he says, he gives these abstract answers and then he finally gets to it. He says... So I was at the NSA one day and, you know, one of my colleagues turned and, and uh, showed me a naked photo of a woman that was the wife of one of the people that we were, uh, I forget what it's, the targets that we right. had. And he looked at me and he said, bonus. And, you know, and then in another photo, there was a photo of the kid and the kid was looking at the camera and it was like that kid was looking right at me as we did this. And I just wanted, I wanted, Edward, you have 15 minutes only talk about these photos yeah and then go what if your wife what if what you said 
What if the sounds of you guys having sex on your Alexa were, were being watched by some creeps at the NSA saying bonus to the most private? And then he missed it, though. He, yeah. thought, he talked about, like, they're stealing memories, and it completely lost me. I was like, no one can steal my memory. Yeah. Like, if I have a memory and you have it, too, I don't feel yeah, like— yeah, I, <laughs> I saw the nude. You yeah. saw the nude. I saw the nude. Yeah. Now we both have the nude. No, but like that idea of, oh man, drive it home and be like, this could be you. Yeah. This could be like, and like you ever, it's, oh, you never took a naked photo. Do you have kids? You think they might have done something on their cell phone mm -hmm. that you wouldn't want to have come back when they apply to college? You want like, like just, uh, there's, there's this marketing angle and I don't know if he can't do it because he can't make claims that he can't back up, which is who knows if they're still, or if he just doesn't have that savvy. But I was like, man, there is a, there is a way more powerful story to be yeah. told here than the government is spying on everyone. Like yeah, yeah. they're spying on you. Yeah. <laughs> That's the story, uh, and it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Well, yeah, I think, it, and I think importantly, on you and your loved ones, you and your and kids. And even if you have nothing to hide, yeah. your kids, because he was talking. They they came at him on like Good Morning America. Like I was shocked at at the tone that they took with him, because everyone that I know, I think, holds him in fairly high regard as someone who. Uh, maybe I don't know the whole story. It seems to me that he sacrificed his life yeah, in order say, to do what he thought he was right. He certainly, <laughs> at great personal expense, did yeah, what he did. Exactly. Things have not gone well. Uh, so that, anyways, uh, I just, I was like, man, I want to. How'd they like, go at him? They were like, Edward, you didn't have to leak. The, like, you did this. And he says, no one was harmed. No one was this. Uh, like, but why don't you come back to America? Huh? If you want to come home so bad, why don't you come back? And he, he well, you know, the thing is, and he gives this long answer. Because I'll go to jail. What do you mean? But, like, why not tell her? Be like, are you, do you know what I, if I were, and again, I don't know if this is the right tact, but there's a do much. Do you know what sacrifices I made for this? There's a much more personally persuasive tact. Sure. Now, maybe he's playing the legal game, which I, which is, yeah, and he's going, look, I'm going to need to cut a deal in three years, and I cannot piss them off any further. But if he were trying to be persuasive yeah. on that interview, he d did not do a good job. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, do you know what I did so that no one is looking at photos of your naked daughter well, that she clear, took for her boyfriend? <laughs> but like, just to be clear, is that not happening? I thought he, I thought nothing changed. Here's the thing: if he would sell the story a bit more, maybe it would. Sure, because but I no thought one, it was ultimately a lot of self-sacrifice for not a lot of effect. Well, this is the issue we talk about with charity, which is if right? you talk the fact that 90 million people don't have clean water, no one cares. Yeah. But if you tell the story of one little girl with a name and a picture, donations go through the roof sure and he's he's not telling the personal story which yeah, yeah. i don't know why he's not doing it and and he might Edward, have good reason call us <laughs> if you don't i don't call, know how <laughs> call into the podcast dude so this is the next topic weddings so there was someone uh there's someone in our neighborhood who was getting married and they've uh their parents are spending a lot of money on this wedding and it's got a day it's got the day before it's got the day after and i thought this was hilarious uh, the day after, it's at this fancy place, and it's brunch and bocce ball. You know what bocce ball is? Yeah. Where you throw the little ball and you throw yeah. the big balls? Yeah, yeah. I think this is hilarious because I know these people, and I like them, again, but they've never played bocce ball. They have a yard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've never played bocce ball, and they're going to spend, no joke, five, a strong five figures to play bocce ball that day. Really? Y do, Just to, that day? To get the venue and to have the plates and to do this, Yeah, yeah. which is... Like the, you're saying, why don't you just have the Friday Saturday event and just skip brunch? And what I'm ball? saying is that it is incredible 
how much money people will spend to do things they don't want to do if they're told it's luxurious. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, you could, I would defy the wedding industrial complex. I would say, I think they could make anything, anything. Like you could make it ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> you could make it, I don't think like, you could make it bocce ball. It just sounds like, oh, that's fancy. Something that I don't always do. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. must be really what they do in the Hamptons. It's such an aspirational uh thing to be in your beautiful clothes out on the lawn like this is what the well-to-do spend their time doing yeah and we can pretend to do it for a day we can pretend to like it it's like if anybody wants to play bocce ball you all have lawns yeah <laughs> you all have lawns uh, by the way it's probably like 30 bucks <laughs> max to get a and bocce if you ball wanted set. to eat this brunch the cost of this food is nothing yeah but to do it at, yes and to do it at this event, at this thing, and to get the photographer there, though, which is really what it's for. Yes. So I was just, I, I thought it was hilarious because my, my parents are going to this thing and they're, they got to have an outfit for this. And the they wedding? have to have an outfit for this. The wedding, I got to tip my hat to them from a business perspective. They have truly turned something <laughs> from a special day for people to sanctify their marriage yeah. to a huge consumerist monstrosity yeah. that has to be black tie and like has to have a hugely expensive cake and has to be catered and it's like this could literally just be us standing up saying our vows if you're religious having god sanctify the marriage and then a dj and an open bar mm -hmm. and it would be just as fun yeah and instead it's They've, it's less fun. They've made it <laughs> We're such playing a disaster. bocce ball. Yeah. We have to play bocce ball. Dude, man. that's marketing. That's the strength of marketing. And I, again, tip of the hat. They did this in roughly by the way, you in have less to buy than a, 100 years. You have to buy a blood diamond. Yeah. Or else you don't really love the person. Yeah. They did this in less than 100 years. I actually think it might, if you could probably even shorten that time span, if you really look at when it kicked into gear. Yeah, it's insane. It's, might have even been one ad. Wasn't there one ad that launched the pearl industry or something? I'm not sure. Sometimes there's just these one moments where you just rewrite what a wedding is yeah and you just go oh you thought this was for friends and family no this is for photos so i know that people get excited for weddings and and this isn't even a comment on on the marriage that has to follow the wedding which can be difficult in its own ways but oftentimes when i hear people discuss weddings it's like oh i've got to go get a dress or oh i've got to like do this or like i've yeah. got to travel to this place and it's well that's attend that's the attendees the attendees the attendees that's always the case yeah I, you see memes of that yeah they're like oh i'm so excited i got invited to this wedding i can't <laughs> wait to spend five thousand dollars yeah to go. yeah but i think for the person who is throwing it it's also stressful but there is a huge desire yes to have the event and yeah. the photos and the validation mm -hmm. and the you know yeah bocce ball I, I i think it would be it would be really funny and and to just interview them for the preceding year every time they're planning the wedding be like how does this make you feel how does this make you feel and then interview them on the wedding day and be like how are you today yeah. like were, were all those four experiences worth this nine experience yeah, yeah. today by the way this would have been a nine if you just let me plan it a week ahead of yeah, time. yeah 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 like if we just if i surprised you surprise wedding <laughs> you just you just don't need all this stuff what if instead of what if the engagement and the wedding followed like that like you if you well, said that would yes, be a bad if I think you said be... yes to the engagement everyone had to be there no no, you no. Could just come in you gotta give people the chance to opt out i know too many people that said yes and then took it back they're like ah. <sighs> yeah i know someone that said yes didn't want to get married, but said yes because she felt pressured because their family was there. Because he surprised her Ooh, with the family there. That's tough. Her mom and dad are there. His mom and dad. Are there. She goes, yeah. And then was too scared to cancel and was going to marry him until she found out that while getting ready to marry her, 
he was having sex with his ex once a week. And that let her get out of the wedding. But absent that, she was just going to marry the guy she didn't want to marry. That's Rather crazy. than rock the boat and upset him and disappoint her parents. Yeah. It's like, wow, I guess you're lucky he's a scumbag. We truly are the own obstacles to, to our own happiness. It's incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to see it in other people. Not me, though. Well, that one's great. <laughs> that one is so interesting. I don't want to marry him, but I think I'm going to. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to get a yak back. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have uh, you say that again. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to play it back to you. And you pretend I said it to you. And, and what do you think happens after the wedding yeah 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 it just gets worse <laughs> like when your family's not looking uh. uh so tons of stuff here i gotta keep rolling though because i got more so i mentioned this to you and here's my here's my underlying question what is a man and and if it matters in parentheses in 2019 what is a man in 2019 what? i don't answer this I don't know. No, no. I don't mean trans. I don't mean trans or anything like that. I mean, uh, there's been these. The book that I'm reading is about. It's called King Warrior, Magician Lover, right? And it's about uh, the archetypes of. Got of, it. You're saying what is masculine? What is sure? Let's masculine. say that. Let's say what that. is masculine? Not what is a man. What is masculine yeah. in 2019? Yes, and and in 2019 might be a needless uh, qualifier. But the thing I told you a little bit about this, the fascinating thing about this book is it talks about the importance of rituals in in moving boys to men Mm. and how boys to men. (laughs) It talks about how in some tribes or in Native Americans, they would have this 13th birthday thing that was intense. Like you'd be ripped out of your home, covered in fire ants, given some sort of psychedelic brew, left out in the wilderness for three days. And then have your foreskin removed, and you would be a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end of that horrible journey. Yeah, yeah. That sounds exactly like my bar mitzvah. <laughs> That's exactly what my mom and dad. You know did. what I remember about bar mitzvahs is when the guy would hold the the stick out, and he'd let go, and people would try to catch it. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. You never did. Sorry, that I was game? having flashbacks to fire ants and having my foreskin cut off. <laughs> you'd put me in a dark place. All right. Well, what I remember about bar mitzvahs is the guy you hold a baton. Yeah. And then somebody holds their hand right above and he says, look, well, I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop it. And you always miss it. Reaction time doesn't work. But whoever the bar mitzvah boy was, he'd go, I'm going to drop it. I'm going to drop it. And somehow he would signal to him. And the bar mitzvah boy would always get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. We actually didn't have that in mind. So you you didn't become a man. No. <laughs> you didn't. I just got drowned in fire ants. You didn't do the baton trial. Yeah. But uh, so it says that that these things are important. And then it goes on. That which we've I lost thought, them. We don't have lost this them. ritual. It's just this random, you're it's, a man now. You, or you're not, or you are, or what is it? So you I don't know. You don't know because you haven't done it. That's so the thesis of the book. That, well, that was one of the theses about rituals. Okay. And then it said, which I thought was completely crazy. He says, the only thing we have resembling this is gang violence, or our gangs, which is a perversion of this. Because gangs are violent and require you to often hurt other people. And then I looked back at the preceding paragraph where it describes the fire ants and the, and the, and the circumcision sure. and all this. I was like... You don't think that's violent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what is this whitewashing? No, yeah, or you go Sparta, right? Didn't they have to go go out in the wild and kill a bunch of animals? My point is, gangs might be the only vestige sure. of, of of what you're describing, and I'm not saying that we want that. In fact, when I look at it, I go, I don't know that this is the best yeah, way. Yeah, maybe we just shouldn't romanticize. Maybe it. we shouldn't romanticize all yeah. of these these rituals. I don't know, but it did make me think. What what is masculine? Uh, and I don't know. Do you have a, Do you have thoughts or an answer? Does it matter? I kind of, I, I don't know. Well, no, this, I mean, at the end of the day, this was always where I came back with that whole Adam Conover thing. Yeah. He tries to say there's no such thing as alpha males and beta males. Mm-hmm. She's like, I agree with Joe Rogan. Unless we're just going to completely corrupt the definition of these, there are. Mm-hmm. If you just define alphas as confident 
men that most women are attracted to or you just say an alpha is whoever gets the most mates or whatever you mm -hmm. define like you just pick a definition there are mm -hmm. but the question is do like why do you want to be an alpha so bad mm -hmm. you know uh, i know i do because my dad is a hockey player and that's what i was told a man is <laughs> but like that's not to say it's good that's just to say yeah. that's my programming um but no what do i think is masculine i mean a ton of things coming to mind i'll just list them off without trying to be right being big and strong right being able to beat people up in a fight protect your loved ones if you have to defend the family um being successful being confident being decisive being chivalrous in the sense that you're paying for your your the whoever you're dating you know mm -hmm. you're, you're providing financially uh what else is masculine standing up for people standing up for yourself someone's being bullied you're the person that gets in the way and goes hey not on my watch <laughs> not on my watch that's masculine <laughs> Do you think all these things that you're listing, and I, I know that you're listing them as sort of gut reactions, does your top brain confirm that? Does, does that, do those rationally clear for you? Because I know that that was oh, like... Oh, I don't know. This is just... This I'm is, just that's, trying to, that's what your There's two things is. I could do. I could try to look good on the podcast. Yeah, 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 so or I get your sense. Your questions, well, so that's I'm what I'm trying to, oh, I'm just going... So I agree. I think... Here, here's what comes up if you ask me... We have similar senses culturally masculine. of what masculinity yeah. is. And I guess my question is, how does your rationality, does it confirm? What is the definition of masculine? I don't know. Angel, but what's I, the definition of masculine? Can you can you Google it? I think it? it's being normally associated with men, but I think kind of the definition is this is what we steer men towards, and 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 like you're almost judged on how well you hit those things, and you, and you can get you'll know where you are in your life, and mm. you'll and you're you're told to feel as good about yourself as you are on that scale. Yeah, I yeah. think that which fits it, my life. Goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which is why. People work hard to what be those things. You saying that's why I volunteered to do a cage fight where I let someone punch me in the face <laughs> yeah. for glory? Is that what you're saying? That, that that doesn't actually make sense to do. I really just like being punched in the I face. I love it. I love it. <laughs> what does it say? Oh, God, Are you ready for an incredibly unsatisfying answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of men. Sure, and I think, and even circular in that circular answer yeah, is that these are desirable things right they have to be i think we at least in our culture desirable for men to to smelly to is not on there yeah yeah you yeah. know that's not part of the definition of masculine despite the fact that a lot of men are interesting interesting no it's got to be the good ones it's yeah that's really interesting that we don't go oh wow that's so masculine he smells like the strongest bo yeah that i've ever smelled he stinks. Life. what a man <laughs> yeah uh that's fascinating yeah. that it's it's and I and I do. I've kind of talked about this. Honestly, another mask, another high, high testosterone trait would be being quick to violence, which is not yeah. something we consider masculine. So defending least, your loved ones is because they're masculine, but yeah. having being a lunatic, you know, just having a really quick being trigger, abusive. Yeah. yeah well, here's the, here's masculine. you know what no what might have been masculine in the past hurting your loved ones, like like hitting yeah, and, yeah. and just well being, in the fifties or something. Well, who 20s. are you going to hurt if you're if you're an angry high T pissed off person? You're going to hurt the people in your sure. area. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not. No, I, don't, I think we I define, don't even mean within a hundred years ago. I mean historically i think i think implicit in the word masculine today is that it's the good stuff it's not just the stuff that correlates with being a man it's the stuff that you're supposed to think makes a man a man and again the good stuff the good the good being a, a word that is hypercharged because what it is is that's no, relative it's or relative. it's made up it's whatever it's you decide you are not told good. you can feel good if you embody yeah. these traits as a man slash boy and uh, yeah, it's just interesting. I was reading this book. I was like, this is, I, I don't know. I'd like to talk to someone who feels differently. It feels like a strong mechanism of control. It feels like a way to get people to, to 
do things that they don't want to do, like get in a fight or pay for everyone around them or <laughs> or sacrifice yeah, yeah, their yeah. life for their country. Uh, things that Or just sacrifice their life for their family. I saw an interesting thing. You know all the memes where it's like a dog mm-hmm. or a, like the dad's like, I don't want a dog, but mm-hmm. then the, the dad's who loves the dog the most. I was just reading some stuff on Reddit. It's just anecdotal, right? But this dad was, they were saying, why do dads love their dogs so much? And he's like, I go to work and provide for my family and that's my job and I don't mind it. And no one is grateful about it. I do not come home from work with people saying, thanks for giving the last eight hours of your day doing something you don't want to do so that you can give us food. Mm-hmm. You just come home and help them with their homework. Yeah. And I get it. And I don't mind that because this is my sacrifice. This is my role. But when I come home, the dog is stoked. <laughs> and he's, it's like it's the only one that I feel like is giving me my thank you Yeah. for completely sacrificing your day for the family. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just an anecdote. It's just one guy. Some families are very grateful. But I think it's just an interesting uh, yeah. look into the lives of some men who are pursuing this masculine thing of I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up myself. And I'm why gonna... would I do that? Well, not because I'm getting thanks, because I'm not. Yep. Not because I'm getting this. Not because I like it. Not because it's fun. And it's I think because I'm a man. And this is the role of a man. Not because it's a timeless ideal either. That's what we're kind of saying is that the, obviously this definition of masculinity, while there might be a core that has remained similar, has shifted over the historical. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it used to be masculine just murder and it seems pillage. like it seems like masculinity is what is best for society to have most men behave like that seems like what it is and to me that is just a control structure that like i don't necessarily want to opt into or sign up for or let control my decision yeah, yeah. making lest i have to get punched in the face in order to prove it just to be clear i'll still pursue it till the day i die or do enough psychedelics but i'm yeah. with you philosophically yeah okay interesting and i think do you think you pursue masculinity i definitely do and i i think it has to do with my dad i'm curious if you do i have relaxed on it i mean i've stopped going to the gym and i it's i'm trying to shrink the shoulds in my life and one of the shoulds i was just curious if you i guess if you think you have a hyper masculine father and if you think you pursue masculinity because i would say i by our definitions have a hyper masculine father yeah and i think when you grow up a lot of times your father is your hero absolute hero yeah and so i probably through to today i've spent the last 32 years one of the things i pursue aggressively is being masculine and strong and being able to provide and protect and i think for me it probably comes from wanting to be like my father loved by my father i'm just curious if you i don't know enough about you and your dad i think that's i think that's true as well i mean my dad is taller than me he was more athletic than me he was on the varsity basketball player got a scholarship to university like he did at the age that i was growing up he was cooler more athletic and yeah, better yeah. in every way than I was at the did age. Did it make you want to go, screw this, I'm going to do something else? Or did it make you want to go, I want to do this. I want to be like him. Both. It was both. It was like a frustrated attempt to be like him, I think. And then to excel in other areas because it then, wasn't And then working. I quit for a while. And I was like, I hate piano. I hate <laughs> this. I hate basket. And I quit everything that he did. I quit it all. And then I came back to it at around age 16 and was like, okay, I'm going to try guitar. Okay, yeah, I'm going to yeah, try yeah. to be good at basketball. Okay, I'm going to try to, you know, have whim- like girls for the first time because yeah. I just ignored them for my entire preteen years. Yeah. Do you uh, think every guy has this in some – not – and by the way, I don't mean biologically. <clears throat> I just mean do you think that men in America, because of the way we're raised on the whole, pursue masculinity because we want to be like our fathers and we want to be loved by our fathers? I, th- I don't – I can't say every because some people do not have – Angel shaking fathers. his head. Angel weigh in. <laughs> so I, I, I usually don't speak up, but – I had a uh, pretty hyper-masculine father, too, but I didn't have a great relationship with him. Mm. So growing up, I actually very much rejected masculinity. Yeah. I sort of pursued 
the quote unquote feminine. And I always was like really into shopping and fashion and like things that I thought were feminine. I kind of did it on purpose to piss people off in my life. Got it. Because you weren't close to your dad. That's fascinating. Because I do think that's, I think there can be a rejection of your parents as well. Absolutely. I think they either influence you on what to move towards or they can swing you away. I don't think anyone's neutral on their parents, Mm -hmm. but I do, but I totally buy this. Like, I think there's a lot of people who probably go, I hate this person and I'm going to be the opposite. I have to think more about it. It's really interesting because what I'm hearing is that there's, we're saying there might be some biology in here, which is certainly worth considering because there's a lot of biology in everything. There's definitely some culture in here because we've watched this definition shift, but also whether or not it becomes an ideal of yours Mm -hmm. has to do with your particular circumstances, especially how they relate to your same sex parent. Uh, and and I'm I'm sure the analog is true for femininity in in many ways for for people as well. I don't have personal experience, you know, trying to do that. But yeah, the person that I why is that, isn't that interesting? I wonder why that is. What? Like you don't you can love your mom, but it doesn't make you want to be more feminine necessarily. Well, I think what it does is it defines the type of love that you look for in women. For yeah, sure, but or but don't look for you... or 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 run from. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, but, that, but it doesn't make you want. You can love both parents just the, just as much. But you don't want to move towards feminine necessarily. Well, whether this is cultural, biological, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Angel, were you close to your mom? Yeah, very. I was raised by a single mom mostly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, interesting. That's fascinating. Did you emulate her and her? Obviously, you you took after her in many ways because she was your mother. But do you feel like in the same way that we're describing that, like Ben tried to become like his dad and and actually no, because because she was a single mother, I was sort of expected to step up and be the man of the house. Interesting, but I didn't want to, so (laughs) I was like, no, that's not happening. So So, complicated. This is part of why I don't want to have a kid. So (laughs) complicated. It's so much. There's nature. There's nurture. There's so much stuff. You can try your best, and it's just so hard. Yeah. What makes a person who they are as an adult is so complicated. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I this this is worth sharing. More thought. Appreciate yeah, you chiming in. Appreciate no, you no chiming problem. In. It's a good. It's a good. Ben and I have the Thanks same. Thanks for hearing life. me out. No, no, yeah, yeah. No, no. That's why I saw him shaking his head. I wanted. I wanted to hear it. <laughs> yeah, Ben and I are too similar sometimes. Uh, but but I I do think that it is important, at least at this point in my life, and for many people to pause, step back, and not just with masculinity, but towards all of the goals that they're asking, and ask. How did this idea get put into my head, and is it one that is improving my life to, yeah, why to continue to strive? And you can, you can, you can ultimately continue down the same path. But as I've uh, unpackaged and reflected, uh, my idea of masculinity was a lot of the things that you described, but plus one you didn't, which is making women happy. Like mm. I, the the most masculine man in my eyes is the one that all the women love and all the women want to be around, and everybody likes him. But not, but not just all the women want to sleep with. For you, it was all the women. No. Yeah. Want to sleep with and want to date and want to stay with yes. and want to and like yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't, like, wasn't like a player yeah yeah because yeah, someone yeah. could define masculine as just the guy that sleeps with the most women mm-hmm. and then he treats them poorly but they still like him mm-hmm. you know then that could be that oh yeah that's yeah no man. that that for you, was, it was like I case. care for them they adore me yeah forever yeah which is my mom right <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway so here's another big one and then we can hop into the news so. I'm reading, I told you, I have all my books. I have my Dan Ariely's, I have my Eastern books, I have my, my et cetera's. <laughs> and I see in Dan Ariely, he sets up a dichotomy of meaning versus happiness. And this is one that you're familiar with in almost every book written, written in the Western thing, which is happiness isn't going to do it, meaning is important. This is Jordan Peterson's thing, which by the way, did you hear? This is total tangent, he, that he checked into rehab. No, for what? So he, this, it's less sensational than it sounds. Uh, his wife had, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. And uh, he was, of course, distraught and went on anti-anxiety meds. 
And then as she actually got better, which is, you know, great and wonderful. And then he goes, okay, I'm going to get off these meds. And it's like a horrible withdrawal. So he checked himself into, I think, a New York facility to try to get off of these anti-anxieties. Yeah. Um, But I read that. I was like, what? And I was like, ah, it's not as, not as sensational as everything's got, everything's got its cost. Dude, we had a friend who, uh, his lung collapsed and they had to do a bunch of surgery for him. So they gave him painkillers and then he ended up being addicted to painkillers. Yeah. He said the withdrawal was worse than the pain of his lung collapsing. <laughs> Seriously, man. He said it was awful. He said yeah. I, my, my fiance had to like tie me down and she had to give me these suppositories, I guess, because mm-hmm. they help with the symptoms a little bit or something. Yeah. I don't remember the full details, but he's like, yeah, it was the withdrawal was far worse than having my lung collapsed sure. in on itself and not being able to breathe. Oh, Cool. Yeah, I don't want to ever get hooked on that stuff. But anyway, so meaning versus happiness comes up often in these Dan Ariely's. And Jordan Peterson talks about it. Victor Frankl, happiness, they often define as the pleasure. Mm-hmm. I like I like what's happening. Meaning being the sense that what you're doing is important, will outlive you, contributes to others. And in these books, meaning often comes out on top, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not sure that it totally deserves to. I mm-hmm. actually think we've... we've de- appreciated a little bit of hedonistic pleasure at least in the last five to ten years yeah yeah well i was gonna i'll let you go but i think that defining joy pleasure and happiness is interesting is important yeah but anyway go on but anyway i think there's there's interestingly there's a third one that is always left out of the western books which is presence and that's what you get to when you read buddhist texts it's Mm -hmm. what you get in eckhart tolle which is it's certainly it's closer to happiness than meaning it is anti-meaning Right. Because meaning is all about it's not about what I'm doing. It's it's what I'm doing has some sort of superseding value that goes beyond the definition. Yeah. And and I'm certainly not present in the moment. I'm I'm conscious of the legacy which this creates. I'm conscious that this has effects outside of my immediate experience. Mm -hmm. And presence is grounded in your immediate experience. It says nothing means it'll say this means anything. It is. And so. I find myself when I read these books, because I read a lot of different ones, mo- torn back and forth in different directions. Yeah, yeah. On one hand going, oh, God, I need to do meaningful things. And on the other hand going, drop meaning completely. Yeah, yeah. I battled with this for, I don't know if you remember this, like two years ago, because I was starting to learn about nihilism and I couldn't find a, a flaw in it, mm-hmm. but I found it very depressing. Mm-hmm. And then I found optimistic nihilism, which is what I could finally wrap my head around because it's tough. It's the idea that if you zoom out enough, none of it has meaning. Yeah. All of planet Earth will just get swallowed by the sun. So we just choose what to care about. It's not that it's not that nothing has meaning. It's that you just choose your own. Whatever mm-hmm. meaning you give, you give. There's no, certainly there's no universal definition of what's meaningful because the answer is none. The sun will explode and everything we've ever done will be gone forever. And I was a little bit shook by that because I said, well, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. And I saw people kind of, you know, nihilism is associated with the black and white cartoon that's depressed. Yeah. And then somewhere I found it reframed as like, it's not no meaning. It's just make your own meaning. Existential. Make yeah. meaning that inspires you to go do positive things by your definition help other people and blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. not because it has meaning but because like you get to make your own meaning can mm-hmm. mean whatever you want so yeah i used to i wrestled with this i can it can feel a bit daunting to give up meaning because it can make you feel lost because if there's well, not no meaning even, what's not, the point yeah well i, I mean I'm, I'm trust me i'm on board with no objective meaning I'm, I'm i'm on board totally but my question is should i even try to make my own meaning of i'm not saying should or shouldn't i'm saying some people some people listening me myself when you mm-hmm. hear that at first there can be a sense of if there's no meaning then what's the point if there's no meaning then why get out of bed if there's no meaning why live at all so there's you know? well there's two answers to that question roughly eastern western the the western is make your own 
mm-hmm. nothing there are no rules you get to decide what you know do you want to help other people do you want to be uh, horrible and that you you elevate your own meaning and and you strive towards it that's sort of the existentialist philosophy but mm-hmm. on the other hand there's this buddhist which is like yeah there's no meaning like take a deep breath feel your legs on the couch yeah <laughs> well this is why i i wrestle with why we why it's illegal to kill yourself mm-hmm. and i don't want to minimize suicide but at the most extreme example i'll tell you about my my grandmother's husband had horrible back pain was 93 and didn't want to live with it anymore and so he was in a home and he just stopped taking his meds and starved himself to death and it took a really long time because he had to starve himself to death and i don't understand why he wasn't allowed to just opt out and i know we've got to make rules and you you know you have to no that's a silly rule you should be able well i'm saying you maybe you know you've got to be a certain age Uh and you have to agree to it for several months in a row but i do i do wonder about this idea that people are forced to continue living if they don't want to mm-hmm. and it's obviously very complicated because suicide has impacts to the people around you and, and it can be very traumatic for other people but yeah this whole thing of like there's no meaning it's all about the present well if the present is horrible physical agony like why are you obligated to continue being present in it well what the eastern response would be that the present is never as bad as if it if it is not connected to this oh this means i'm going to be in pain forever forever that the moment of the coldness the moment of the rain is can be transcended by getting deeper into I guess that this moment. is why these are the monks that go up into the mountains and sit in the cold yep. for yep and forever just, and for now that's all yeah, yeah. they only sit there for right now that's that's sort of the answer and so i don't i don't know but i find myself when i read one book going okay let's build a business that is important and meaningful and then i read the other one i go let's feel your butt on the ground yeah. <laughs> like stay still for a long time do you think take you deep can breaths. achieve so i'm positive you can achieve great monetary success and great impact and great contribution part-time mm-hmm. do you think you can achieve presence part-time yeah well, well actually i don't know like have, do you, like because here's the thing do i don't you, know do you think that needs a vispassana retreat do you think that needs monks in the mountain can you eckhart do- tolle allegedly and when i look at him i believe it sat on a bench one day and didn't stand up for a couple hours and just and there's these stories Sadhguru went up to a tree and sat there for eight hours he's just a dude who had been dumped there are these people that there's have breakthrough moments and this is throughout history whether all charlatans maybe some of them i think some of them are just legit yeah that are just forever changed for no conceivable reason they're not even meditators something just snaps you didn't just have psychotic breaks i think they kind of kind of do uh because that cartoli was going to kill himself right isn't that a story? He was, he was, but he's not even as suicidally depressed as many people. Like he was. No, just, but he was thinking about suicide. Yeah. And then he had this thing. And then Sadhguru just said he had a breakup. And yeah. Then he had this thing. Yeah. Are they having? Like, I had a breakup. I was sad, man. I didn't. Are they not, having episodes? I, not, I don't know. And then yeah, Sadhguru comes back to his family and they have dinner and he just says that he sat at the dinner table for hours after everyone left and just was like in a state of pure bliss. Well, that's the other thing. Pre- <laughs> presence can be blissful and disconnecting. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Well, it's it, here's the thing. He would say, well, disconnected from what you think, but yeah. like completely connected to this. So you, yeah, he's like connected to universal <laughs> consciousness, but he's lost the ability to like ask his speak, kids yeah. how school was. <laughs> yeah, and and obviously he does interviews and all these kinds of things. And I I can't. I think I'm interested in understanding more of that sort of stuff. I don't know though. We'll see. I don't have I don't have an answer. But meaning versus presence, they do appear opposed to one another. So question. We, there are all these things, right? There's NLP retreat slash yeah. Toy Center slash Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. There's ayahuasca, psilocybin, bufo. Yeah. 
there's Vipassana. Yeah. You've done multiple retreats. Yeah. You've done multiple, multiple plant medicine retreats. When is your Vipassana retreat? Not for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think I'll do it before I think I die, probably, you know, unless I die. Is it because it's the scariest? I think it's the hardest. I think it's the hardest. Well, uh, yeah, the time sitting there for 10 days, man, that sounds. I'm not good with physical pain, is the other thing. Like, weirdly enough, when I. Yeah, when I do ayahuasca, it can be psychically challenging, but I can handle the nausea. People talk about this physical agony. I'm like, I I tap out so quick. Yeah, it's when you because you don't move, right? They just sit in the same spot. It hurts for hours. It hurts. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I don't like physical pain at all. Uh, so I'll do it eventually. But I, I recognize that as being one of the doors into which you can you can start to have those yeah, yeah. enlightenment. I'm surprised you haven't gone through that door. Yeah, I guess I'm taking the cheater door, which is like <laughs> psilocybin retreat. But anyway, that's all my things for today. What do we got? I know that there was a long question that I had mentioned, Angel. Can mm-hmm. we can we dive into that one and then we'll do? I only have thirty minutes, unfortunately, because I have to. Do you want to skip current events this week? Uh, well, are the good ones? Let's do it. Uh, we could. You, I'll list them, and if you're not interested, we'll. Yeah. Okay. YouTube's Lily Singh is now the host of an NBC late night talk show called "A Little Late with Lily Singh." Um, which is pretty incredible that not only... Wait, in, NBC? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty incredible that not only does an Indian woman have a late-night talk show on a network, but also a YouTuber. YouTube star. <laughs> She's like uh, one of our own. Uh, it's happening, man. I feel like such a lame YouTuber. <laughs> you are. You're a fifth of her size. We are. Beyond a fifth, no, because even even if you look at views, she probably is crushing me. Uh, it. I'm not. I'm not unhappy with it. We are. We are so not in the YouTube world. No. We happen to put videos on YouTube, but and I know a handful of YouTubers, but the ones that are no, that, so much small. I mean, the magnitude differences. There are YouTubers of our size that are close with Lily Singh, that are close with PewDiePie, because they're in the same world. Yeah. We're not in their world. Is is what's different. We're we're just we're actually like a how to. Uh, company yeah, it's that, that d- distributes on youtube yeah. is what's interesting so i don't even good for her man no i think it's interesting <laughs> i feel like youtube won i feel like tv and youtube had a fight and youtube won and now tv is like no nah, man the, system, the only this way is what to... the system does the system just incorporates anything well, that's what that I'm fucks is, against it. well I th- that's what i'm saying is that tv went all right next next idea mm-hmm. our youtube channels need to be the biggest youtube channels yeah and so this this thing she's hosting isn't on her channel it's on NBC's exactly. YouTube channel. If you can't and then, beat them, make them join you. And then <laughs> it gets published to the NBC TV after, sure. but YouTube first. I think what they did is they went, wait, PewDiePie gets more views than every TV show that we have? We need to be the biggest YouTube channel there is. Yeah, and I don't mean this as nefarious, but essentially what's happening is they're going, look, our, we have prestige, authority, and some reach. You're fast eclipsing us. Mm-hmm. Rather than stay opposed to us, we're going to tempt you with, by the way, which is kind of a lateral move in many ways, except with prestige. You know what I mean? Like, are you going to be seen yeah, by more people? No. Are you going to make more money? I don't even know that that's yeah, the I case. Doubt it. Do you feel like this is prestigious? Good, because now you're going to buoy me with your actual popularity. Yeah, we, are, and we said it. We go, oh, good for her, good for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, is this better than just making a second video on the channel she owns yeah. and get all the revenue well, from this it? Is why, this is why, like, Macklemore such an inspiring dude it's because he just didn't like at no point did he and it paid off for him yeah in a big way he just went i own it yeah. it's me i i own it and i am a competitor to all of these other universals that's interesting to think about actually because my first reaction was good for her and good for youtube and i'm not saying it's not but it is interesting it's most good for nbc well this is what power does is 
is that it as it as its stock wanes what it has still is prestige mm-hmm. and this is true of of institutions as well like take harvard university of chicago those those are yeah, yeah. made you ever heard the, you ever heard the quote? by their by their students if you ever want to have a smart person do something that's not in their best interest yeah, yeah. bait the hook with prestige yeah it's who's that ben graham or something i don't remember it's yeah I it was think. just a quote that was Paul thrown graham. in my face when i was doing investment banking yeah and it's true and and the people who make these NBCs, who make Harvard, who make this, are the people desperately wanting to be accepted by them. Who, oddly enough, if they all just got together and said, "We're gonna just not go here. Yeah. We're just gonna start the next sale, NBC, several billion dollar company," I will own everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. In order to get prestige, people people prop up these institutions of power, which I, I don't think is nefarious. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, but anyway, what else? Instagram is cracking down on questionable weight loss ads. Um, a lot of celebrities like the Kardashians will push um, uh, weight loss diet teas tea. and shakes and lollipops and yeah. anything that they could stamp their name on. But uh, Instagram is taking a stand. They're blocking some of the lighter ones that aren't considered as bad. They're blocking from minors. So anybody ah. under 18 will not see them. But any of the ones that are seen as more dangerous, like the ones with really wild claims like, Take this every day for a month and you'll lose this amount of weight. Huh. Those are being completely banned altogether for everybody. Interesting. Um, so that's uh, sort of I think that's good. a big deal because that was a lot of money on Instagram. And now there's a huge market that's potentially. Well, also Instagram doesn't get any of that money, do they? Mm-mm. It's between well, they get uh, the ad the... money. They do get the ad money. Got it. Mm. Got it. Oh, not if it's sponsorships. It's, if it's sponsorships, yeah, they get yeah, no yeah. money. If it's ads, they do get it's money. It's sponsorships. Now, what they could be doing is pushing people to other platforms. But at this point, let's be real. No, you're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't hurt them to do this. They can they can do the right thing without taking a hit. Uh huh. Is it the right? I don't I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I think so. My, <laughs> I think my mom once uh, went to a nutritionist for some something, and they gave her what they said was a good weight loss supplement, and it ended up just being an amphetamine like speed. <laughs> it is a good weight loss supplement. It is, that's what clear. she said. She's like, yeah, if that's, all you, if that's your only metric. So that's what this reminds me of. They're like, take this pill every day for a month, you lose weight. I was like, that then, might not be an overclaim. Uh, yeah. Like that might, that sentence might be accurate. Yeah. There might be other sentences you'd be interested in. It but. Could, yeah, could come with <laughs> some downsides, but. Well, a lot of these are actually just um, diuretics and appetite suppressants. <laughs> they make you, exactly. That will make you lose weight. They make you super dehydrated. They make you. Man. Poo everything out. <laughs> it's illegal for fighters to use it because it's so dangerous, yeah. but it'll make the scale go down. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm glad. All right. Well. Man, uh, somebody, well, actually, somebody, was this somebody who asked us, this actually relates to, is there more topics? Because I know Starla asked us a question about, like, working with people, which is connected to this. I've got more current events, kind of funny, but we could skip it. Go for it, go for it. it. Well, so the Storm Area 51 event finally happened. Oh, yeah, the Naruto dude. I saw him. So there was a Naruto runner, um, I don't know if you guys want to watch that video. Did he really? Good for him. Uh, But (laughs) also, I don't have to see it, but God bless that man. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple thousand people showed up, but only about 200-ish made it to the actual gates, and there were only two arrests, but otherwise, everybody was pretty peaceful and had a good time. Yeah. Doing and what were the arrests? It was a party. One was somebody uh, drunk, alcohol, and the other Public one was a decent exposure for peeing. <laughs> <laughs> In the desert. Give him a break. Give him a break. Or her. I don't know who it was. Let him, let <laughs> it was a him, and he was peeing on the gate, so. Okay. Should have <laughs> let Zer pee in Area 51. Yeah, man. The, the, uh... So, anyways, what else do we have? Let's do Starla. Starla, that there was, I believe, there was it was a question about working with people and not being snobby. Okay, okay, here we go. Hey, Charlie and Ben, fellow course creator and CU student here, to bounce off of the topic of live webinars of 
for course sales, I trained under one of the most popular coaches in the coach industry who teaches similar tactics for boosting enrollments through windows of scarcity and bonuses. The whole thing always felt shady to me, and as a first-time course creator at age 26, I was made to believe that I'd be setting myself up for failure if I didn't launch according to the standards of the major course gurus. Mm -hmm. My course launched for the first time last year, and I decided to avoid every bit of the course marketing standard that didn't fit my personal values. Good for you. I 100% aligned my marketing with what I learned in CU. That month alone, I made over $100,000 in course sales. Wow. Nice. My biggest challenge now is finding partners to join venture to joint venture with who also share my brand values. I would love to know more about how you select sponsors and partners for COC and CU and how you incorporate your own brand's values into this vetting process without coming off as too good to work with you jerk. Interesting. Good. So first of all, congrats. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Huge launch. Good for you. A uh, l- little bit more. There's a couple oh, more. Oh, geez, sets. Louise. A <laughs> little bit more. I desperately want to work with more big names and have higher level discussions with fellow course creators, but I feel like my standards are too high for the students I love that I'm willing to share them with anyone who doesn't fit my exact definition of a perfect partner. Mm. And that's about it. So the short answer, we, we've never partnered. We've never partnered. We've never partnered for businesses and we turned down 95% of sponsorships. Well, also the for the answer. exact reason that you're saying, which is... If I'm going to recommend, you know, okay, let's do an email list joint thing. I don't know where, what they're going to do with them unless I know and trust them completely. Uh, so that's that's why we haven't partnered. Now, what we have done recently is recognize that rather than wait for partners to come to us, we've we've gone back into our lives and asked ourselves what have been the most transformational books, courses, programs we've gone yeah, through. Yeah, so I actually have a call next week with a guy because his program was really helpful yeah, yeah. for us for our entrepreneurship journey and we want to have an entrepreneurship program. Mm-hmm. So like, why not go promote the one that was actually really helpful to us? Yeah, so we're yeah. kind of going and hunting them down. So that's that's the first thing is rather than wait and have a net to, to filter out people coming to you is just look back on your own life and ask yourself, who are the, the books, courses, things that I that I would recommend to people in adjacent markets and that's we're just starting this yeah. this process you think it's helpful if i go through the four things that we look for in sponsors yeah yeah and so and so, then, yeah so for sponsors this is actually a tough thing for us we we get hit up a lot with sponsorships <clears> and <throat> they offer money that would be really nice to take and so we realized that we didn't have a good system for this so we came up with four questions so it was can i imagine myself in real life ever recommending this to anyone in my life two has someone does someone i know had a positive experience personally like myself or a loved one Three, do I want to encourage this type of consumerism? So for us, that's why we avoid watch brands and things like that is Mm -hmm. even if we wear them, we don't want to tell everybody that they need to go be part of the consumer culture. And then four is, will the sponsor do well? Because sometimes we would love to work with people, but they're going to lose money and we don't want to be the source of negative ROI for people. So that's what we ask ourselves when we're looking at sponsors. I don't know if that's helpful for you, but yeah, that's, that's, and that those are, Excellent questions for sponsors. And you need four yeses. You have to have all four need to be yeses. Yeah, and you could probably come up with something similar for a partner. Is this someone whose stuff I've personally gone through and I think is high enough quality? Do I think that the people on my list will get value from it? Do I think that this is in line with the integrity of my brand? And Mm -hmm. do I think the affiliate or the person that I'm partnering with will also benefit from the partnership? Something like that. But the other thing is that uh, I wouldn't presume, I mean, we've done quite well without ever partnering. Uh, you can have a completely successful business. Was it? She did. With, she made a hundred grand. Yeah, in a yeah. Month. This with is what I was no partners. She's, there, somewhere in the comment, it said that you want to work with higher level people, and I actually would just ask yourself why. 
Mm-hmm. And if it's because you want to mastermind with high-level people, you can join masterminds without mm-hmm. promoting those yeah. projects, actually. So you can just pay to be a part of, or you can network and connect with your own um, group of people. But yeah, you can connect with high-level minds without selling what they sell, yeah. if that's your goal. And if your goal is just to grow your business, you may be able to do it in a way that doesn't require partners. But I I certainly think you're thinking about the right way, which is your people come first, your integrity comes first, and business growth is secondary to those things. So sounds, I mean, I have no advice except for to do your thing. Yeah, we're we're, great. We're more, if you have a partner, we're apparently (laughs) more rigid than you are in this regard. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been around a little bit longer and we have zero. So I can't, I don't know that we're the best for breaking you out of that (laughs) that mentality. For better or worse, could be for better. So hope that helps. What else? Uh, Abraham asks, you guys have talked about free market ideas and globalization from uh, both a business perspective and a moral perspective. What are your thoughts on libertarianism? Okay. Uh, I do you know about libertarianism. I do, but I don't have, this is not something that I noodle on often in my sure. free time. Sure. So I, there's a, I, I, there's a lot of different strands and strains and I'm not familiar with all of them. And some of them might take this critique into consideration. But when I think of libertarianism, I think of, uh, the type of person who wants to maximize individual freedom while retaining what are often referred to as natural rights. So they, they want a government that protects uh, their right to not be murdered, that protects contra- contractual agreements, that protects these but sorts of But leaves them alone in all the areas but they leaves, want to be left alone. They leave so it doesn't alone. tax them a lot. So they want, to, they want the government to do what they want. That's the libertarian. Yeah. They want the government to do the things that they like, like... Not not every libertarian. Pursue no, murderers. There's, there's of course, no, yeah. but like, yeah. if a loved one gets murdered, I expect the government's police to mm-hmm. come and help me. Yeah. But I don't want to pay a lot of taxes, and I don't want to have to contribute to things I don't care about. Yes. Now, I think that if that's how one defines a libertarian, and this may not be you or anybody that you know, but that's that's my what I often see is that there's this defense. There are these natural rights, and we just want the government to protect those. And yeah, because to be clear, if you were completely libertarian and you said you had to pay for everything, including the police— that would be a really system because yeah, all the poor people very would get screwed few, out of yes, good. Yes, very few people want no government. Yeah. Most people are willing to say that no government means bad things will happen to me. It and will. I, and all I don't. the wealthy will be very protected. No, there, I mean, beyond that, you will be murdered and before, That's what I'm before tomorrow. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The wealthy will be very protected. Uh, they will yeah. have the, ar- the army will protect the billionaires. So this, this, is, my, pure yeah, this is my sense. I, I actually probably line up with many libertarians in many areas, with the exception that I recognize that the natural rights or the rights that the libertarian wants are completely arbitrary and self-serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no justification for a government to stop people from murdering someone else any more than there is for any other law, right? We, we agree to come together and say, these are the things that we want to protect against. But nature did not have some sort of stone or edict that says, here are your natural rights. No, I know a lot of Canadians who think it's insane that we don't think healthcare is a natural mm-hmm. right, that we think that brain surgery for cancer doesn't fall Actually, where cops fall. And it bothers me when we talk about uh, I, the way that people, this is a tangent, reference human rights as if that's something that exists independent of any, a, a right does not exist period there are no rights out there there are agreements that we come to and then we enforce those agreements but the idea of a human right not that we shouldn't try to make these agreements but that a human right exists independent of that is just not the case so my issue with libertarians uh sometimes is that they think that the the rules that they would like to have are somehow special but taxing goes above and beyond or paying for public schools or, or yeah, uh, a head start want. program they what they want. is somehow different than what they would like. 
And what I think libertarianism can sometimes fall into is I want to be free in the ways of which are good for me and protected in the ways of which are good for me. And I want to pretend that that is somehow some sort of special arrangement as opposed to That's a moral edict instead of a self-interested edict. Yes. Instead of recognizing that, look, I have an arbitrary set of things that are good for me that I'd like the government to do. (laughs) And, and I recognize that somebody else has an equally arbitrary set of things and we're going to have to come together and make some sort of an agreement if we want these baseline, like, let's not kill each other or let's have some ramifications if that happens. So I think I think that the government uh, does play an important role in in setting the rules and the redistribution. There, like, capitalism is not a natural law. Enforcing a contract is not a natural law. Uh Owning equity when you start a business, that is an arbitrary construction of a government. And what libertarians often think of as the blank slate state of things are just the arbitrary rules of capitalism, which they happen to enjoy. Yeah. And so that would have been born into. Yes. And, and, you know, suit them Mm -hmm. and suit them well. Uh, so that would be my critique. I often, though, align with it in (laughs) many ways. That said, most (laughs) of the time, Charlie's a libertarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I recognize that. It's because it works well with what Charlie wants it to It works in well the world. for me, and I, and I have understanding and respect for people who, uh, who want a larger government to take a more active role, not larger than the one we have today necessarily, but a larger than libertarian government to take a more active role in setting rules that stop what often, and this is the other thing, let's pretend you move all the way towards anarchism. Let's pretend you went natural. What you have in the natural world is 99.99% of species dead, outcompeted deleted now what does that make it makes for some of the most ruthless living machines that have ever walked the planet right we are their survivors of the survivors but in the short term it is brutal yeah in the span of any of any creature's life it is a vicious existence and i think one of the wonders of government is that it steps in and it goes you know what we're going to slow down the that viciousness. the viciousness mm-hmm. and we're going to we're going to curb the excesses uh, and and the uh, success of the most successful in order to make sure that there's a floor here so that we don't look out and find that we're like the African savanna where it's just brutal. For, you yeah, know? yeah. And if you're at the top of the food chain, there you are. So uh, if you don't think nature is brutal, <laughs> check out nature is metal. Because yeah. nature is brutal. It's nature. beautiful and brutal. And brutal. Yeah. So I, I, uh, Maybe that's a strand of libertarianism that I could get behind, but I don't think it has any special moral claim and natural rights. I just think are are, are goofy, honestly. So yeah, that's my thought. What do you cool. think? No, no, I agree with you. Yeah. Next question. Next question. Uh, it's dead. Loro says. Sorry, what? Uh, it's it's dead. Loro, L O R O. Okay. Uh, uh, hi guys, I'm from Mexico. Huge fan of your videos since 2015. Whoa, Sick. that's 2015. Let me be real. If it was 2015, you're one of the first. You watched our first video, yeah? Because I really started. I had the Bill Clinton, but the the consistent was November. November. So I'm going to fact check. No, I'm not going to fact check (laughs) you. I'm going to blindly say you're the man and or woman. I've been watching since 2012. You're awesome. I love it. All right. So what else? True. I want to OG. I want to ask you how to not be a manipulative person if we want to have charisma, because it surprised me. You said in this podcast. Because since I watched your videos, I feel like what you were telling me to do is to manipulate what other people think of me to be successful. So how do you... I understand the question. He's saying, 
I want to be charismatic. I like the people you put on your YouTube channel. I like the results of charisma. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be manipulative. And I'm confused because on the last podcast, you kind of talked about how charisma is manipulation. is manipulative. Yeah. And my thought is that we just have manipulation is a weird word with a very negative connotation. That's exactly the same as persuasion. And I think everything is manipulative. I think mm -hmm. that wearing makeup is manipulative. I think that commercials are manipulative. I think that I like your haircut. Yeah. Every, <laughs> and, I mean, anything that influences in some sense is manipulation. I think that's the definition of manipulate is you just influence someone yeah. or something to be different than it was going to be. And I so. think this, this is part of the disconnect is that Ben and I use the word manipulate. I'd be like, I'm going, here I am. I'm manipulating this. Like I am yeah, you I'm are. literally manipulating. You're this. influencing now, it. Is that bad? It wouldn't have done it without you. <laughs> yes. It couldn't have done it without you. Is that a bad thing? No. So I actually, what, this is the issue. So what your, your, your issue is that you don't want to negatively manipulate or be yes. uh, two-faced or any of these things. So I think- You're trying to be a good person, which I respect. Yes, I yes. would just say when we say manipulate, we mean influence. Mm -hmm. And I think that to be charismatic is by definition, every single thing you do is influential because you're making people smile. You're changing the way they think about themselves or you. So you have to be influential or you have yeah. to influence other people if you're going to be charismatic. It's anytime the exact you consider, of Anytime you consider someone's reaction to something and adjust your approach going, ah, oh, they're going to get angry. Let me say this tactfully. I want this. Yeah. I want to say this in the way that gets the sale, uh -huh. gets the person to like me, makes the person laugh, makes, makes the person feel, feel good. good. Exactly. Making people feel good is manipulative. Yes. So by our definition. Yes. And what we mean is just the purest form of that, which is that what you're doing has an influence and an effect yes so now, it's not it's not a negative i think the word manipulation is often used to mean a harmful influence yeah but so so here's what i do and and to answer i think what the the depth of the question is which is how do i do this in a, in a well i want to clarify honest what way. we're yeah. promoting or yeah. what we're proponents of so so one you could read radical honesty which is a very very good book mm -hmm. and i think when you read that you'll realize one that always all the time we're falling into habits of lying and dishonesty which mm -hmm. we want to break out of but even when we're being honest there's an infinite number of choices in how to express anything yep and you can be honest in an infinite number of ways so the point is number one be honest but then two within the realm of honesty learn the ways that are going to be most effective towards whatever goal you have now mm -hmm. don't allow that goal to overtake the primary goal of being honest then that that can be tricky because sometimes you lose sight of honesty in an attempt to get a response but you can be candid helpful tell everyone every meaningful piece of information they need to, while you're trying to sell them something but still be incredibly persuasive in the way that you're that you're uh, communicating. And I think that's what I try to do is, is try to make honesty the first order thing. And then within the playground of infinite options is, is go with the one that's going to be most fun, persuasive, you know, yep. et cetera. Yeah. And the only thing I've added to honesty is transparency, mm -hmm. which I think is different because I used to have a thing where I was like, yeah, I never fair. lie. I never lie. <laughs> and what that meant to me was I never spoke a lie, <laughs> but it didn't mean that what I was saying I thought about someone to their face was what I was saying about them behind their back. And it didn't mean that I could have conversations in front of loved ones that wouldn't change if that loved one left the room. Mm -hmm. And so what I've added is honesty and transparency and then persuasion. Yeah. Because I think a lot of us think of a lie as something you say that isn't true, but I'm starting to, or There's have begun to think omission. that yeah. you can, it can be a lie if someone asks, oh, was that bothering you? and you don't respond at mm -hmm. all, and then they leave, and you talk about how much it bothered you. Mm -hmm. I think there's 
honesty is is making it so that everybody in your life does have an accurate not everyone everyone important in your life everyone you have a connection to has an has an accurate sense of your feelings how you feel about them and about your life in the world yeah that thing. no that people have the meaningful information which is i don't need to tell my mother first i woke up then i exited my bed yeah. i i tell her the things that in my best a, effort are meaningful for her to here's know. the real example you can have a relationship with a significant other where you never speak untrue words to them yeah but when you're talking to your friends and they enter the room the conversation has to completely change mm-hmm. because you haven't showed them what you're actually like with other people yeah and you're afraid that they won't like you if they see you with your friends and so everyone gets quiet and changes what they're saying and that is i would say just as dishonest as just lying to them sure um so yeah we've gotten off the manipulation thing but there is in, well, in short there's is in short you can absolutely and then persuasion and you can be charismatic a hundred percent within those those parameters oftentimes you'll be more charismatic yes weirdly enough there's a strength to just standing up and being honest about something that isn't in your best self-interest yeah. or that might get reacted to poorly that is far more charismatic than somebody who's always calculating and only saying things that they think will help them in the short term. The last thing that I'll say about this is that my videos have to be, well, they don't have to be. I've decided to structure my videos in a way that is going to be uh, appealing and and useful and educational. And I'm trying to serve a lot of different masters with my videos. But one of the things is I start videos with do this with your hand, put your thing here. And it's very calculated at the beginning of the video. Uh, and then what I try to, because those are the things that people want to know. Most people want to know, how do I get what I want in the shortest path? Sure. Where I try to arrive at the videos is with the mindset, which is if you can step into this mindset, those little things will begin to happen automatically for mm. you. And it won't have to be so manipulative or calculating, but you need to have this mental shift. If I started with the mental shift, I was shift, just going to say, if, less if, interesting. if you start with the mindset, people click off. If yeah. you start with the detail of how to behave, mm-hmm. and then you explain, that's a lot of work, remembering yeah. what to do with your hands and your eyes and your this and that. That's a lot of work. You know it'll work. This mindset will make you do it unconsciously. Yeah. Then people are, are bought in. And weirdly enough, very meta, this is what I try to do as a way of being uh, honest and persuasive, meaning I'm, I'm arranging things in the most persuasive order to get people to be interested and watch and stick with it, but ultimately trying to deliver by the end the goods, which is, <laughs> which is not just do this, but, you know, uh, the approach the, the world this way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Hope that helped. We're doing it. It's going to be a funny cut when we're just on the phone all of a sudden. Hello. Hello, Hassan. Hey. Hey, this is Charlie. How are you? Oh my God! Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> I'll take that. I wish ever, ever since well. I got the message, I've been shaking. That's funny. Oh my man. God! I'm, how are you guys? Um, we're great. I'm sorry that we made you wait so long. We had some technical difficulties. No, that's difficulties. fine. That's all right. That's perfectly all right. What's up, man? I'm here as well. Just so you know, we got Ben here. As I don't well. want you to be hey, confused up, when another voice chimes in. Oh my God! Did you guys? You guys are my heroes. Like, oh, that's. I watch all your videos. You guys. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We're going to do this all the time, man. I This is making my day. So tell us a little bit. Oh, my God, man. Uh, yeah, what are you, what's, what's going on with your question? I, I, I've read it, but all in right. your own words. Uh, okay, I'm not sure if I, uh, if, I, if I have the same question as last night. I don't remember what I wrote. It was like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, sorry about that. Yeah, I can, so I can refresh you is, if, if you – okay, if, you, if you've got no, one. No, go I remember it. it. I remember it. It was uh, – it was, so basically I just started college. I'm not in college anymore, but when I was there, before I went there – I was like, you know, I want to become super charismatic. I want to talk to a bunch of people. And Ben, I don't know your story, but Charlie, I know that like when you 
I don't know, in your second or third year, you went to Costa Rica, you talked to a bunch of people, yeah. and you became super social and charismatic. And what I what was happening with me is that I, I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went to college, and I like I was I was terrified, like completely <laughs> terrified of talking to people. And like in the first day, I talked to a few a bunch of people, and then like the, ever when I was done talking to them, I would feel the anxiety of the next year, like oh I have to do this tomorrow, and I have to talk to everyone yeah. all the time, and like it was just it was bad. So Got then it. I was and I kept on thinking like no way I can do it if I want. A lot of people you all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, what what do you guys think? Like, do I have to do that, or can I like take a stock and I like talk to like you know like two new people every day and do it because because I, I want to do other things as well. Of course, like, you know, of course. Yeah, you've game. got you've got a life. Uh, so yeah, do you want to start, Ben? Or no, you can go ahead. Okay, so so my what is my reaction to this? Well, I'll start. If I, one thing I will say, it's yeah. totally normal to be nervous. Yeah, when you're talking to people that you don't know. I think a lot of people think that confidence means that your heart never elevates, but I think that it means performing well or doing your doing what you're supposed to do while that's happening. The best athletes in the world definitely still have their heart elevate in high performance situations. And not that I'm that yeah. for charisma, but I went up to a, a woman I was very attracted to two days ago, I think it was in the street. And I promise you that when I left, my heartbeat was going a lot faster than before I saw her. So it's totally normal oh to feel that. It's totally normal to see someone you admire or are attracted to and have your heart elevate when you see them. So don't think that you're doing it wrong or you're a failure or you're worse than us because that happens because that's still happening to me today. Yeah. And what I take pride in is not that the conversation goes poorly or well, but that I did it. And I think if you redefine success, you might find that you're proud of yourself instead of being scared of doing it again. Because in my book, if you feel fear, go up and start a conversation anyway you won you're a champion and you're going to become more charismatic if you do that no matter how the conversation goes so i think if you reframe a little bit what it means to be successful that'll help you to enjoy the process and it'll help you to become more charismatic faster Mm -hmm. in addition i think i think that there are uh, the circumstances in which you're putting yourself can be of a variable intensity Mm -hmm. right so on the far end of the spectrum might be someone that you have a crush on or you think is really pretty and you're walking up and speaking to them out of nowhere on the other side, still a really good thing to do, but much less anxiety-inducing, is to say an extra sentence to the person who serves you food at the university cafeteria or to speak to someone behind you in line as you're checking out of wherever you're checking out of. And by the way, if you do that, yeah. it will actually make it much easier for you to go talk to the person that makes you uncomfortable, whether mm-hmm. that's a business mentor or a person you're attracted to. Those small quote-unquote easy conversations with cashiers, taxi drivers, people on the street, that actually helps you build social momentum so that you are on a roll and you are talkative when you go up to the person who in the past made you nervous. Yeah, and and so what I can say is, is in my own experience, when I mentioned, yeah, I talked to everyone, these were not the scariest situations, <laughs> 98% of them. And they don't have to be half-hour conversations. No, they were, they were asking for directions to a building because I was in a foreign country. Uh, they were, and I also was had the advantage of being able to play the dumb American, which I did to great effect. Yeah, no, uh, I have that that advantage as well. I'm from Pakistan, so oh I'm yeah, so in the US. yeah, you're, so yeah. You're, you're still trying to, you know, whatever. You're two years later, you're trying to figure out where the building is. Yeah, hey, where's are. this? Hey, where's that? <laughs> no, and I do it even socially when I go out today, right? 
I'll get into a car. I'm talking to the Uber driver. I get out. I'm talking to the doorman. I get in. I try to talk to the first person that I see in the bar. And so that way I'm in a social mood and I've got momentum. And so same thing when you're walking around campus, if you see anyone, one sentence, two sentences, when you're in line, one throwaway joke, doesn't matter if they get it gets a laugh. You just start to build this habit of being talkative and you start to train your brain to think that talking to strangers is a low pressure situation. The more you get these reps, this repetition, the more your brain goes, oh, I'm not going to die if I talk to a stranger. Yeah. And and in addition, you asked, you know, how much you should really get time off. And I think this is important. Oh, yeah, for sure. Is is to go. This is not something that I need to keep in the back of my mind 24 hours a day. In fact, I'm only going to put it at the front of my mind. And this is kind of what we do in the course is is you set a trigger for when you exit or enter a new area. So maybe if you know that you're walking into class and your trigger is as soon as I enter through the, the buildings of that door, I know that what I'm going to be focused on for the next three minutes is saying an additional enthusiastic sentence to whoever might pass my way, whether that's a hello to someone I recognize in the hallway, a janitor there whose name I haven't gotten yet, and I introduce myself, I say, what's your name? You only have to actually turn it on for those moments. And actually what's nice about that is that that does have some sort of a self-perpetuating thing where for the next hour or so, you're more likely to be in an outgoing, friendly mood. But I think the problem that I hear that you're expressing is you constantly feel like there's more that you need to be doing. And that's not yeah, the case. Yeah, I feel like, like, yeah, I do it and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to feel good after this. And I do it and I'm like, you know, that wasn't enough. I need to do it. Or like, I asked for direction so it doesn't count because I didn't talk <laughs> to them saying, like, do you want to start a conversation? And like, and then I just go into that spiral and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah charisma, weirdly enough, charisma is a very special thing in that you don't have to put in eight hours a day to master it. You, one hour a day is so much, a ton, so yeah. much. And so... I was learning this while I had a full-time job. I was going into the office, put my head down, doing Excel work I hated. But then on my lunch break, I'd go talk to strangers. That's more than enough. It's not like learning an instrument where you need to put in 10 hours a day every day to become great. And so I would definitely give yourself permission to go, do it, be on, then be proud of yourself and go, cool, rest of the day is bonus. Is whatever happens. We it's, actually used to do yeah. that. We'd set, the, we call them SMART goals. And I forget what it stands for at this point, but it's, it's these goals that are measurable that you know you're supposed to do and then once you do them you're done and so the goal isn't to be i'm going to talk to every person i see or i'm going to be charismatic forever you just go tomorrow i'm going to try to talk to one person tomorrow i'm going to try to tell a story for 20 seconds without getting interrupted Mm -hmm. tomorrow i'm not going to work on saying anything i'm just going to work on eye contact you pick these little things and then you give yourself permission to feel good about them and and the good news i know that we're kind of piling on here is that you're since you're in a closed social circle this shouldn't. This is not always going to be talking to new people. I mm-hmm. mean, you're you're in a closed social environment, and there's nothing wrong. In fact, this is the point in forming relationships. Yeah, if you're working on touch, you can just work on touch within your friend group. Yeah, you can work on saying hi to a, a male friend you have and touching him on the shoulder when you do it. So, so which is to say that some of these things, which will be uh, practicable, should should induce zero anxiety because you're doing it with someone that at this point you feel comfortable with. Uh, and so it might be the way that you tell a story to a friend or like I mentioned, one, the simple act of saying, hey, I, you know, one day you go up, you say, hey, I see you here all the time. I feel like we walk past each other in the hall. I've not introduced myself. I'm saying, well, you know, have a great day. The next day could be, how's it going? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like just yeah. just that that second little thing. Yeah, you don't have to always be out doing yourself. That's exactly. Thing. You always be doing something, okay. always be trying to work on yourself but you don't always have to set a new bar for the hardest thing you've ever done socially mm-hmm. and just to clarify when ben says always be working on yourself he doesn't mean i mean all every day. hours I mean, of the day once a yeah. day 
so yeah, so that's okay. what I would say is that is that you should be oh. able to keep this a primary focus by by setting your intention, perhaps be the night before, the morning before, going in this particular environment. When I walk in the door, I will remember to do this, and then let it go, and then just live your day yep. exactly as you would with no stress and no, kind of like the gym. Which is if you go to the gym, you don't have to go twice in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, you don't go lift for eight hours. In fact, you go once and then you feel proud of yourself for going. Sure. And and, yeah. and what happens over time is you develop the endurance, the social endurance to actually enjoy it over longer periods of time. So yeah. uh, but that that's the general gist of it. Oh, guys, this like it, this is like calm me down so much. Like I feel like this is the question I was asking myself, and I was like, I need to talk to you guys. And yeah. now I because I, I was like I was hanging out with that friend. I was like, okay, I can't hang out with these people and talk to strangers. And then no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm I'm glad you asked because that is absolutely not the point. The point is not because what because what you're essentially saying, and I, I hope we're not communicating this, is that you're not enough right now as you are, and that's really not the message. The message is that all of us can take tiny steps to stretch beyond our current selves in any given day. Not that we have to burst through and be completely different individuals in any given moment. No, you should spend a large portion of your day in your comfort zone. That's that's totally cool. Yeah, with your friends, with doing your, your friends, job, doing, doing your, your school, stuff. whatever it is. Yeah. And then push your comfort zone in these in these dedicated moments. And, and I think that habit over time is going to be uh, less stress-inducing, more effective than someone who just tries to go completely nuts, drops their friend group in an attempt to make you know that's yeah. not the point anyway. And the good news, and the good news is, at some point it will become fun. Mm -hmm. I think with a lot of things, when you're learning to play guitar for the first time and you can't play a note because you don't know how to hold the strings, it's frustrating. And with charisma, it's the same. But at some point, if you do take these moments out of your day to work on this your endurance for social interaction will go up and for being uncomfortable will go up and then you'll start to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And then you can just do it as much as you want because you'll be pulled to it with a carrot instead of being pulled to it by beating yourself up. Yeah. Okay. I, I get it a lot right now. Cool. So relax. Yeah. No, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Don't sweat it. It's, uh, it's not an all the time, every moment, new person thing. It's something you do with people you know, and it's something you do some if of If you're time. talking to someone new every day, that's yeah. honestly already incredible. That's yeah, great. That's, that's more than enough. All right. Cool. Anything else we can all help right. you with? Cool. Uh, no, that, that's about it. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Charlie. You guys, you guys are incredible. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, I'm sure you're not only helping, you're helping like, millions of people. That's it's, it's uh, an amazing thing. Yeah, that's Jeez. crazy to think about. Thank you, Hassan. We appreciate you uh, writing and, and answering the phone. Yeah, this is great, man. Thanks yeah. for calling in. Take care, dude. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Thanks. Cool. Let's wind this podcast down. Good stuff. Man. You want to shameless plug CU on that? If you want to know the best habits to do each day. Yeah, no, I'll shameless plug. exactly what uh, CU is. Well, it makes me realize, yeah, that's that's what CU is. It's like you you don't do it all day. No, you do it for 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you watch you, you watch for 20 minutes, and then you do it for less than 10. <laughs> yeah, and then you're done. Uh, and then you're done. That's, That's why people like it. Yes. I did not realize that, and maybe maybe at earlier points of our channel, we've, we've not made that clear, but certainly that's the goal is not to... No, I told you, I, I talked to a bunch of CU <laughs> members and that's what they, uh, half of them were said the reason I got it was just for the structure, yeah, just to turn right. my brain off because I don't know how to implement Thinking this and it it's all stressful to think about. I know, yeah. and I can relate because there was periods of my life where I certainly felt oh like Oh my that. God, I, it was all consuming. Yeah, and if I missed, I beat myself up and it's just like, 
Well, I still do. I'm an expert self-beater upper. I'm an expert self-beater. I'm, I'm not anymore. I yeah. don't care. I, I, <laughs> I don't care anymore. <laughs> and my growth has reflected that. <laughs> as I just, I don't care. Anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to check out our sponsor, Charisma University, that's in the description below. And uh, this is it for podcast number, what are we on, 19? 20? Uh, 19, yeah. 19. Not like oh, wait, 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 sure. I wish we had a camera on Angel. <laughs> Angel did not like being put on the spot. I did not like that question, but luckily I had the video cute. It's 19, yeah, we're 19. 19. All if right. you want to write in, same thing. That'll be in the description. Yeah, yeah. If you want to post a comment as a question, we'll answer it. If you want to fill out the form, maybe we'll give you a call. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.